Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. Now join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. Who are the 144,000 in Revelation? That is a question that we'll answer on this episode of Word Matters. I'm Brandon Smith, alongside my co-host, as always, Trevor Wax. And this is the final episode of Season 2, Episode 42. It's amazing to me, Trevin, that we've already done 42 episodes of this. And we have so many other topics that we could get to that we haven't gotten to yet. So that just shows you how many controversial passages of Scripture there are. Yeah, I think we could literally do 40 seasons and still be. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, and, and today we're discussing another passage in Revelation, which we could also just start a podcast on Revelation passages and probably have plenty of seasons on that too. Yeah, you know, this isn't the first time. I'm sure it's not going to be the last time that we cover a topic from the book of Revelation. And um, since you're doing your PhD dissertation on Trinitarian theology and Revelation, I would assume that means you're going to be lifting up Revelation passages over and over again. Am I right? I mean, you know, I'm just giving the people what they want, Trevin. Okay, well, what I'm going to say about that, um, this means you're going to join the great cloud of Revelation interpreters, of which G.K. Chesterton, I never quote from him, but this one time I'm going to quote from him. him. G.K. Chesterton said, though St. John the Evangelist saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. (laughs) That is so true. So, uh, okay, let's read the two passages in Revelation where the 144,000 are mentioned. Uh, The first is Revelation 7, 1 through 8 in the CSB. Uh, After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth, so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel rising up from the east who had the seal of the living God. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were allowed to harm the earth and the sea. Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites, 12,000 sealed from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 sealed from the tribe of Benjamin. By the way, you did not have any tongue twisters there. That was that was strong. I wondered if that's why you gave it to me, because you were wanting to mock me in case I stumbled <laughs> well, over some of those funny. names. The but... names, yeah, the names weren't too bad. It was the 12,000 from the tribe, 12,000 from yeah. the tribe. I figured <laughs> yeah, that was going to be a little bit of a, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let me read uh, the other passage that mentions this. It's Revelation 14, 1 to 5, also in the CSB. Then I looked, and there was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a sound from heaven like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder. The sound I heard was like harpists playing on their harps. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, but no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women since they remain virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were redeemed from humanity as the first fruits for God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. All right, so we've got three views here, uh, a lot to deal with even in these two passages. Uh, so let me do the first view, and then we'll uh, we'll get going here. 
So the view number one is that the 144,000 are the only believers who will be in heaven before Jesus returns. Uh, so this view is actually really popular with Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they believe that only 144,000 believers will go directly to heaven at their death, uh, and they will join Christ in building and restoring the new earth. Okay, so there's, there's no clear teaching necessarily on how a person actually knows if they're one of the 144,000 elect, uh, but supposedly God will reveal it to this person. So I think I mentioned on the podcast before, I... Uh, uh, first time I ever heard about Christianity was through a Jehovah's Witness Bible study at my house when I was probably 10 with my aunt. And I remember this was the first doctrine I learned was about this 144,000. And so I remember this being a big deal because my uh, my aunt would say, you know, if, if they pass communion at the kingdom hall, what they, what they call their churches, their uh, congregations, uh, if they pass around the communion and somebody takes the communion, that means they're one of the elect and God will reveal it to them somehow uh, that they know that they're, they're the elect. So it was like a really big deal if somebody in your church or your kingdom hall uh, was elect. It's pinning a lot on the Welch's grape juice. I know. And I guarantee there are more than 144,000 people who have eaten that in the history. Of- Probably. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they defend this view uh, by explaining that other passages about the elect that you see in the Bible uh, usually rever- refer to a small or a select number of people. And they note that even Jesus himself talked about having a little flock. And so this little flock is kind of like the separated elect uh, apart from the other believers. So only 144,000 are elect and will go to heaven. Everyone else will experience the new earth uh, at the resurrection of their bodies later I, on. So. I have heard that uh, because Jehovah's Witnesses now have grown so far beyond the 144,000 that there is there, there has been some kind of rethinking yeah. of this and maybe extending what the 144,000 yeah. could mean. But well, I don't was, know that that's true for all Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, there was definitely at one time, like 1935 was the cutoff. Right. And then people kept doing it. So they thought, well, maybe that's not the cutoff. So, right. so Trevor, I, I think I'm, I'm going to go on a limb here and say we should go ahead and throw this one out from the beginning. But uh, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, when it comes to the Jehovah's Witnesses, they they are a cult. They are modern-day Aryans. That means they believe the Son of God is created. So already— I am not likely to trust their interpretations of the Bible when I know they are heretical, that they're outside of Orthodox Christianity. Uh, but I still, I, I think it's good that you mentioned this interpretation because I'm sure that some of our listeners like you are going to have interaction and conversation with Jehovah's Witnesses at some point. And I think it would be good for them to know this is a key passage for their theology. And it's it's also good to know how to respond with other views. And that leads us to view number two. Yeah. So I'll present this one. View number two is that the 144,000 are the remnant of Jews who will be saved in the end. Uh, this view is popular among dispensationalists, those who take a uh, futuristic approach to the book of Revelation. Uh, the view takes the description of the 12 tribes of Israel at face value. It says, you know, there's really no need to read this symbolically because John lays it out clearly here. The 144,000 are 12,000 people from each tribe. God has sealed these 144,000 for protection from judgment. And uh, some even say that they are tasked with evangelizing the world during the seven-year tribulation. That's not the view of everybody that holds this view, right. but that some you'll see that in some circles. Um, the first fruits language here is describing the fact that these 144,000 are the first to experience uh, Daniel's promise of a redeemed Israel. So um, uh, to give an example of someone who reads the text this way, uh, Paige Patterson, president of Southwestern Seminary, uh, says, the question seriously needs to be asked, how would a first century Jew have read this text? I think that's a, a good question to ask yep. of Revelation in particular. It says more, more appropriately still, how would a first century Jewish Christian have have um, uh, have understood this text? So, Or one could press the point further and ask, how would a first century Gentile Christian have read this text? 
Um, he says, John possessed all the vocabulary and theology necessary to state plainly what he had in mind. In fact, he did so, namely that 12,000 of each of the tribes of Israel's would be saved. And he sees some inconsistencies um, in some in in suggesting um some of the other interpretations. Um, and so this is what he is pointing to. He thinks this may this is probably the beginning of what the Apostle Paul anticipated in Romans eleven, mm-hmm. speaking of Israel being saved. And so that is the second view. The hundred and forty four thousand are the remnant of Jews who will be saved in the end. Yeah, and definitely Romans nine to eleven, especially eleven, plays into plays a lot into of how that, you view yes. Revelation and, and particularly some of this stuff. So okay, third view. Uh, is that the 144,000 is a symbolic number to describe all the people who have been redeemed by Christ from every tongue, tribe, and nation. So this view, uh, more popular among amillennialists or or maybe so-called idealists, uh, this view argues that the 144,000 isn't uh, meant to be taken so straightforwardly or, quote, at face value, uh, but rather illustrates the completeness of Christ's redemption of all people. Um, actually, Kevin DeYoung did a great job of summarizing this on his blog. Um, he did it several years ago, and then he did kind of a, a newer version of it uh, not too long ago. So let me touch on his kind of five points briefly, because I think he really lays out this view really clearly and really well. So the first point uh, that, that DeYoung makes is that in chapter 13, we read that Satan uh, seals all of his followers. So it makes sense then that God would seal all of his people, not just the Jewish ones. Um, second, the image, uh, of sealing, this talks a lot about, you know, the 144,000 who are sealed. This image of sealing comes from Ezekiel nine, where the seal on the forehead marks out two groups of people, idolaters and non-idolaters, uh, those who worship God and those who don't no, strict dichotomy. So the older view or the other view is going to say, um, you know, there's the Jewish kind of separate from Christian believers at some sense there. Uh, he says, no, it, it's, it's all or nothing. Uh, 144,000. Uh, third point are called to be servants of our God uh, in Revelation 7, 3. And so there's no reason to make the 144,000 any more restricted than that, than all the servants of God. Throughout Revelation, servants of God always refers to all of God's redeemed people. Uh, for the 144,000 mentioned in chapter 14 are those who have been redeemed from the earth and those who were purchased among men. That's how, how it's uh, worded there. So uh, DeYoung says this is generic. This is everybody kind of language, not ethnic or specific. That's true, but it does talk about them being not having defiled themselves with women as virgins mm-hmm. and things like that. So it, anyway, just saying, yeah. very in, interesting that there is some kind of specificity there. Yeah. But anyway, I'm not I'm not denying what DeYoung says. So yeah. go ahead. So the number uh, and then the fifth part, 144,000 is stylized uh, by John to be a clear symbol. It's 12 times 12 times 1,000 equals 144,000. So he says uh, 12 being the number of completion of God's people, representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Uh, Then the 1,000 being a generic number that suggests a great multitude. So 144,000 is a symbolic way of saying all of God's people under the Old and New Covenant from from both uh, the tribes of Israel and from the apostles, kind of as as those are the key points to where uh, everything else flows. So recapping, uh, view number two says that the 144,000 are remnant uh, are remnant of faithful Israelites. Uh, view number three says that 144,000 is a symbol of completeness for everyone who has been redeemed, uh, regardless of their ethnicity, nation, tongue, tribe, etc. So, uh, Trevin, you go first. Okay. Uh, on this one, I just have to say I don't know. Um, I It's strange to me that John would list the tribes of Israel if he were only talking about the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, his listing of the tribes of Israel is interesting because he, you know, Dan isn't on there. Uh, Judah is promoted to first place instead of Reuben, the firstborn. Yeah. So, I mean, is that because Jesus came from the, you know, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and th- that is that is kind of representing all of God's people. Um, so. Just, I guess I'd sum it up to say, 
so much of how you interpret this text goes to your overall interpretation of Revelation. Yeah, always so does, doesn't it? It, it really, you're not going to, it, this is not something that if you come to a conclusion of this text that somehow it's going to be divorced from your overall understanding. Your approach is going to determine uh, how you come to the book of Revelation. Yeah. And I don't consider myself an expert in the book of Revelation. I am not one of the wild-eyed commentators that <laughs> Chesterton was talking about. And so because of that, I come to this text and I, I have to... I have to look at it and say, you know, I'm not sure what the 144,000 are. Yeah. So we need to check the tape and see how many times Trevin has given me a hard time for being too soft on something. I have never not, I'm not taken being a stance, soft. Trevin. Okay, I'm not, I'm not being soft. I'm taking the hard line I don't know. <laughs> like that. that is not a soft answer. A so, like a wishy-washy answer is you're trying to have it always. You're being brave by I'm, not I'm saying okay. I just don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to be a little more wild-eyed than you. That's than fine. my interpretation. Uh, so if you've listened to this podcast, um, it's not going to be a surprise to you that I uh, tend to lean toward a more uh, idealist view of Revelation, although not a thousand percent or anything like that. But I am, I, I mean, I will say I'm definitely sympathetic toward view number two. I think this is one of the places in Revelation where a number does seem a little bit more straightforward. There aren't many of those. Uh, this one does, although I think uh, right away, when you take kind of the quote-unquote face value, you have to think about what you just said with Judah being moved into a different place, Dan not being on there. There's already a little bit of, John's doing a little something different here. It's not quite as straightforward as it seems, even even though he lists the 12 tribes uh, like he does. But we also have to remember that he uses Old Testament allusions all the time. But usually he's doing that to make a bigger theological point. So he's not just simply speaking to the Jews, but he's using the Old Testament as a way to make a, a bigger point. That's really his theological well that he's drawing from. Um, and so, for example, even in this passage and, and throughout Revelation, uh, Jesus is called a lamb, right? Well, so what does that mean? It gives the Old Testament illusion of slaughtered lambs, right, who were sacrificed for sins of the people. And so he's saying Jesus is like the slaughtered lamb of the Old Testament, uh, but he's not saying he's an actual lamb. So even things like that, you see John using Old Testament illusions uh, to make a more symbolic point, right? That happens all throughout the New Testament, John particularly with Old Testament themes. Uh, so even in this passage, you have to start looking at the lamb and those kind of symbolic things that he's doing. Uh, and and I, th I think too, and this is where it really comes down to for me, is that, uh, is that the thrust of the New Testament theology is that Jesus is the true Israel. He embodies the perfect, perfect faithfulness uh, of the law that's required by the law. Uh, so it's not that we as people or we as the church replace Israel necessarily. It's that Jesus is the true Israel. He fulfills the vocation of Israel. You see it when he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted. You see all these different ways uh, that Jesus fulfills the vocation of Israel. Uh, the people who were not faithful, that he was faithful on their behalf and on our behalf. Uh, so I don't think there's any special salvation for Israel uh, apart from him. And so I don't see John making that point in Revelation. And so it seems more likely to me, again, he's using kind of an Old Testament illusion about God working through the 12 tribes of Israel uh, to make the point that that's where it started. That's where salvation started was through these tribes of Israel and that Christ has completed that salvation for all people. And that's when he starts using the symbolism. Uh, and so again, the slaughtered lamb is a culmination of the hopes of Israel. The slaughtered lamb was something they did to atone for their sins and, and, and other things. Uh, and Jesus comes in and says, I'm the slaughtered lamb. Hebrew says he's the final, uh, he's the final uh, sacrifice. And so he's the hope for Israel. He's the hope for the world. And so I think that's going to color for me how you're going to view this text. So Okay. So uh, as we wrap this up then, talking about how we would preach or teach this, um, it's going to be a little more challenging for me on this one because- Because um, you're wishy-washy don't have a Because I don't, have a, 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 a an opinion, a, a fully developed, I think, informed opinion on this. I made a pretty good case, though, right? I mean, no, that was a good case. I mean, I, I'm uh, a, I got you. It's though. not completely you. convincing to me. I saw but you I, convinced. You were no, there. I, um, 100%. I, let, 
so here here's the thing like what i'm not i'm not sure that every pastor is called to have a a, a fully developed informed view of every single text yeah. in the bible mm-hmm. um so when i'm preaching um I, I I have not gotten to this part of Revelation before, and so I may shift gears when I get there and I may really read up and and have a very strong opinion. Uh this is one of those areas though, like if, if you were to give me this text to preach next week, um, this is one of those areas where I would be perfectly fine saying, Okay, what are the 144,000? Well, some people see it this way. Others see it this way. Let me show you how this strengthens your faith as a believer. God is not going to let evil win. God has faithful servants. They are his. He will protect them. God is faithful even when we have been unfaithful. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. In him, we are safe and secure. We have the favor of God because of his grace. And that favor extends to sealing and protecting us from future judgment. So even when we go through suffering, we're going to come through this and go out to the other side because Jesus Christ is our risen King and He has blazed the trail before us. That's kind of that. I'm going to focus on what I think is the overarching uh, point of revelation in a passage like this. And I, yeah, I'll lay out the views, but probably I'm not going to say, "Hey, here's the one I am 100% sure of." Uh, if I'm not, I'm not going to. I'm not going to push myself into that uh, to that level of. Um, uh, uh, being dogmatic about it when uh, I I'd probably need a lot of time and study to to come to a better, more developed opinion. Yeah, no, I think I don't I don't know that I'd actually add much to that. I think, um, whether, however you look at this, the point really is that Christ is faithful to His people, that He's faithful to save His people, that His people are sealed for salvation, that there's nothing that uh, can happen to them uh, that will remove them from the love of Christ and from His salvation. I, th- I mean, that's the point of the passage at the end of the day. It's it's His faithful servants who it talks about over and over again in Revelation that He has these servants that He's protecting, all these elect people gathered around His throne, worshiping Him, uh, giving Him praise, giving Him glory, watching Him defeat evil, watching the rider on the white horse come at the end and just take care of everything. That's the bigger point of Revelation, and this this fits into that piece, regardless of how you do it. And I and I might would lay the, lay the view out too. I might just go since I do lean more idealist. Just I might, tell the view you. Agree yeah, I might with. just yeah. say more like, "Hey, this this is all of us. This represents yeah. all of us. Everyone who is faithful uh, to Christ, he'll be faithful to you." That kind of idea. So, so either way, yeah, I think I think the big point we'd probably make the same big point, and that's the one you should make at the end of the day. So, all right, thanks, Trevin, as always for co-hosting. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next season. Thanks for listening. Word Matters has been presented by the Christian Standard Bible translation that is faithful to the original languages, but clear for today's audience. Find out more at csbible.com.